Greetings from Cyberdelic Space. This is Lorenzo, and I'm your host here in the Psychedelic Salon. Several years ago, as uh, the longtime saloners will remember, I was asked to mention it whenever there was a coincidence connected with one of these podcasts from the salon. Well, I've never been clear about the distinctions between a coincidence and a synchronicity, but to me, I've always uh, thought of a synchronicity as a coincidence on steroids. And this podcast today seems to have some synchronicity involved with it. To begin with, I learned about this interview through an email message that came to an old address that I hadn't checked for a while. As our longtime saloners know, I'm usually running a few months behind in reading email because, well, right now I need to be using most of my time working on my two writing projects. But somehow an email popped up out of the sea of unread messages I have and it has led to today's program. Now, if I told you that the interview that I'm about to play was between an Illinois-born lawyer who was also an electrical engineering graduate from the University of Notre Dame, and he was talking to a man named Matt, who, after many adventures, is now a musician who works with psychedelic medicines, and both of them are experienced with ayahuasca. Well, if I told you that, you would most likely think I'm talking about myself and my friend Matt Palomary. As you recall, it was only a few weeks ago that I played an interview in which Matt talked about his music and medicine work. But here's the synchronicity. I'm talking about two other people. (laughs) The lawyer-engineer-podcaster is Michael Kokol, and the person he's interviewing is the avant-garde musician and artist Matthew Schultz. When I first listened to this conversation, I was impressed with the path that Schultz has taken to, well, basically arrive at a place that, in my opinion, any of us would be proud to have reached. Now, Schultz's path isn't one that holds a lot of attraction for me, but (laughs) then let's be honest, I'm almost twice his age. What does attract me are his ideas. Because this isn't somebody who drank ayahuasca one night and then became an evangelist for the experience with, well, without deeply understanding what's taking place. And while you may not agree with everything he says, although for the most part I do, nonetheless, it's really refreshing to hear someone coming back from observing ayahuasca tourism up close and who also has a much deeper understanding of the problems that now seem to be growing in that area. So I'm going to turn it over to Michael, which, by the way, was my little brother's name also. Another coincidence, to me at least. <laughs> anyway, here's Michael and Matt, and uh, I'll be back after this with a few more words. Welcome to the End of the Road podcast. I'm here tonight with Matt Schultz. Uh, Matt's a multimedia artist, musician, inventor, and sculptor. That's his official bio, but I think we're going to be talking a lot about his work as a mystic shaman, and maybe even a medicine man. <laughs> Matt, welcome to the end of the road. Hey, thanks for having me on, Michael. I really appreciate it. Oh man, you know, I, you know, I, I, I'm so grateful that uh, Ronnie uh, introduced each other because the more I, uh, I get exposed to your work, I mean, you've got tentacles uh, in all different uh, aspects of art. I'm just very, uh, very fascinating stuff. 
Thanks. Yeah. I mean, I've been doing it for, you know, almost my whole life. And, uh, again, I just, uh, yeah, you can go to matchschultz.com and check out all the different things that I make. You know, you were just there looking at stuff. Yeah. Well, let's start with, let's start with some of your early music. You want to, you want to start up with, uh, Lab Report and, uh, and kind of what, uh, what your project was involving that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a great place to start. So, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, back in the eighties, um, I started, I, uh, kind of started working with, uh, experimental sound. What I really did as a kid was just tonalities. I, I like to just create kind of almost steady tones. And it took a long time to realize what I was doing was just kind of trying to create, which what now I think is completely like the chakra tones and alignment tones in that sense. And, uh, so as a child, I would play with these just steady tones as opposed to being a music, you know, like playing music, quote unquote. And I, I'm not a musician at all. So I don't know when people tell me to play in the key of G really what I'm, what that means, you know, but with that said, I've been on like 35 albums and I started with Lab Report and it was a really dark ambient kind of shadow practice band. You know? Yeah. Well, I, I know your heroes must have been, uh, you know, like Throbbing Gristle and, uh, some of the other, early pioneers of that space. Yeah, without a doubt, that's the, that's the truth. Um, you know, Genesis Peorage was, was always a, a strong influence, Bob and Gristle, um, you know, Sev, some of these really early uh, industrial, I mean, they, you know, they started like really the identifiable industrial of the seventies would have been Throbbing Gristle. And then moving into the eighties, you know, we had Einstein's and the Neubauten, and the swans, I even consider in a weird way, kind of that new uh, movement of sound that we were all coming out of punk rock. I think we were exhausted with the uh, this the the energy of punk. It, to, to me, punk seemed kind of almost limited. Obviously, it was very simple and it got boring very quick. And I don't think, although it was a combative music or art form, you know, let's address these social issues with music. I honestly think that like the early industrial did a greater job of that, maybe on a more mystical realm or something, you know? Yeah. So, so what was this? I mean, you, you invented the anti tank guitar and uh, you were involved in uh, some movie soundtracks and uh, kind of a creative, uh, creative uh, ventures on your part. Yeah. I, again, getting back to the experimental sound design uh, from my youth you know, I was constantly, you know, I used to take like hemostats, you know, like the, the actual hemostat, like a doctor used, and I would clip it onto the, the next string down on a guitar. I had this old guitar. And then I would use the agitation of the teeth of the one side of the hemostat to just cycle through. I could just kind of do a circle with this, right? You know, it's clipped on and it's agitating the top string, like say it was tuned to D or whatever. And I could just create these like monolithic tones. And for some reason, I've always been driven by this. And I think back then I didn't really know what I was doing. And like I said, I, I'm really into this kind of the chakra alignments. I have new albums now that are dealing with frequency and binaural beat systems. But back then it was about creating these just frequency tones. And, and I ended up building this instrument, this anti-tank guitar, you know, that 10 strings and used single gauge wire and was just a, a colossal behemoth of, of a, a machine. It had a, a bridge to bridge was five feet, you know, so the, the first instrument was eight feet long. And so, you know, I was getting nearly subsonic tones with like 18 gauge uh, wire strings and I used garage door cables as strings. It was very percussive and, and very subsonic low frequency instrument. Yeah. 
Well, and it, it must have been gratifying that you, uh, your, your, your heroes, you know, that uh, Robin Gristle and Genesis, Genesis Bioridge actually played on some of your, your work. Yeah, that's, you know, I think uh, that is something lucky is when, when your influences, you know, at later, as I grew and put out albums, we'd had put out one album on Invisible Records under Lab Report, and uh, I was touring with Pigface, so I was playing in the band, the industrial band Pigface, and Lab Report was opening up for Pigface. So, um, you know, Martin had brought in the the head of Pigface, Martin Atkins. He had brought in uh, Genesis Peoria and Lydia Lunch. I remember that to um, play with Pigface, and and as Lab Report was warming up, Genesis, uh, they said like. You know, oh my God, this is, you know, this is exactly like Throbbing Gristle, you know, uh, influence, very obviously influenced by Throbbing Gristle. And then, and then they were like, how about I come play with you? <laughs> so of course, for us, that was the supreme compliment. And then I think the icing on the cake there was just that Lydia Lunch refused to play with Pig Face because she heard them sound check and she's like, but I'll play with Lab Report. So uh, to me, yeah, that was a pretty pinnacly winning moment in my music career. Yeah. But but then you kind of evolved into um, uh, the the division, and and that was a much more ambitious project in a lot of ways. Yeah. So the way it kind of you know I was in uh, I was on Invisible Records for years, uh, five years I think we were on Invisible, and then Lab Report broke up after so many records. I mean we were really not doing well on that label. Not that we weren't selling, we weren't getting paid. Really, is the truth. And, uh, and so I had to get off of the label. It cost me a lot of money to get off that label. And then I kind of started my own productions. And this is pre kind of right at the beginning of internet, you know, the internet. And so, you know, we saw like we'd still manufacture CDs and I went solo and I started doing stuff under Matthew Schultz and I did several solo albums under Matthew Schultz. And then as the internet came on and if we remember, I think it was Napster back then was just, bootlegging everything like we could just see all cd sales drop you know like uh, the entire industry collapsed in front of our eyes you know and so it changed to an internet-based industry and and i kept doing solo records for you know a long time 15 years probably i think i've got nine solo records now and then um i would say in uh 2005 i started kind of doing a little esoteric studying and practice the um, alchemy kind of all these like Rosicrucianism, you know, all of the stuff, Freemasonry, I was getting interested in all this. Right. And so I was pursuing it from every angle and I started realizing this kind of more, um, more of these aspects of, of like you as your own magician, if that makes sense, you know, like we're all our own great magician. Right. And, and you can kind of manifest, you know, I started kind of believing. So I was coming on a way to coming kind of from an atheist into agnosticism in my practice of magic, if that makes sense. And, and it was a very esoteric practice, you know, and kind of also self-guided and very chaos magic. So I kind of was working very intuitively. And by 2007, um, that's when I really started delving into it and I created the Hermetic Order of the Division at that time. And, right. uh, and then I recorded, you know, three albums to support that Hermetic Order. So the Mantras was the first album I came up with. And so are these, are these, uh, or were, were uh, overtly religious in nature in, in, in some sense? Um, 
Now it's weird, see, because I I think now too, like my spiritual practice now, um, and, I, and I'm not, I don't consider myself a shaman at all. I, I just really save that definition for for people that are you know indigenously born with life traditions and practices. So I, I certainly would never put myself in that same realm. But I did study for years with the Lakota and Mayan elders almost at the same time. And I was a, I was a fire tender for sweat lodges and, and I was given the peace pipe by a Lakota elder. So I'm a pipe carrier and I, you know, did my vision quests and I pour sweat lodges now. So I consider myself more of a water pourer when it comes to the sweat. Um, outside of that, I, I, I just, I hate to even put any definitions on it because I don't want it to be like dogmatic or identifiable because I don't think it should be like once you touch it, it becomes tainted. If that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Like if I identify this, I'm doing this, it, it kind of narrows it down and it doesn't allow the flow to work for me in a way. I, I don't know if that makes any sense at all. Sure. Sure. But, but, but you know, they, you know, the, the, um, the, the, the CDs you were putting together with the division, I mean, they're called mantras and, and, uh, and things like that. I mean, so definitely resonances of belief systems that you were exploring at that time. It, it yes. Is- but I also consider it very much like uh chaos magic in that sense where it's like you're kind of um pulling this thing from that thing and then working intuitively to build your own magic. You know, you're and again and then they quite literally manifested into my own hermetic order. Now granted, I do not deny that the the art aspect of the division is a farce and presented farcically as a joke in a way. It's 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 simulacra or something, you know, it's, it's this idea of what would it look like if you went to a museum and saw all the art created or all these, um, components used to express the history of this, the hermetic order, which is, it's called the division. Now, ironically, and the twist to that is, is I kind of believe it all. So it is my own practice, but I presented it as a farcical front, I guess. Is there is are there resonances to you know when I'm looking at the the design of the cross and um, and uh, the the motorcycle you designed uh, as somewhat reminiscent of what was going on in Germany in the the uh, early part of the the 20th century uh, I, or, or or maybe Pink Floyd's The Wall in, in a way I think the, you, I think you're dead on accurate on both of those right so again you know I grew up. Uh, some of the first early music I ever listened to was Pink Floyd, that older brother who turned me on to that. And, and somehow that the emotional quality of Pink Floyd and the authenticity and the energy of that band resonated with me most of all. You know, I mean, he, here's Rolling Stones or, you know, this. And I, I just didn't care about that other stuff. I was really into Pink Floyd and that kind of 60s psychedelic, uh, trip music and the wall was extremely influential, you know, and also, I mean, this gets into weird things too, which is the chicken or the egg. You know, I, I went through a, a addictive period in my life in the nineties, uh, whilst in the, like those rock bands and stuff. So again, you know, there was kind of this as- aspect of like romanticizing William S. Burroughs or the wall or Bukowski, you know, and it's kind of debaucherous boozing heroin using, <laughs> artists, you know, or pink himself, you know. And so I, that does resonate with me a lot, you know, and, and the division, you know, is kind of the narrative is, is becoming aware of your past reincarnate lives, right? So I believe, uh, through sacred medicine practice like ayahuasca, 
I have seen my past lives, and these were represented as characters in the division. Do you know what I mean? If, if that makes sense. So, 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 did you go to Peru uh, and explore down there before you uh, you created the division? Um, no, I didn't go to Peru before the division. Okay. Peru was after the division. Okay. But medicine was before the division. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because I just, it, I, you know, my, my sense of is uh, that um, the division is the, the, the vision and sort of the texture of the division are much different than, say, an ayahuasca experience or the, the Icaros <laughs> that might be in there. So I'm just wondering if like that's, if there's been a transition in your, in your work then since then. Uh, occasioned no, totally. by, occasioned by, you know, ayahuasca and other things. Well, the thing is, is I, uh, yes, there's plenty of different medicines and there's different mag, um, modalities of also acquiring that information. You know, like again, shamanic breath work or any, any of these, you can pick, uh, you know, this meditation, all of this stuff is all a means to the end, right? right. And, and the, and believe me, you know, I mean, I had used, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of hits of LSD through college. So, you know, my, my, um, hallucinogenic medicine practice has been a lifelong endeavor. And then, uh, I, you know, it was until in 2010 when I started working with the Mayans that and their medicine is different. It's not ayahuasca either. It was, uh, Bufo. It's the frog, uh, DMT. And, yeah, and then, yeah. And, and then the other really more important was is that, and honestly, I, I kind of always thought, you know, that it was maybe the, the frog, we would smoke the DMT, but, um, it was really, in my opinion, the Tura that was the main medicine that we were using. And I, it was always kind of with, especially with the Mayans, um, it, it was always kind of hidden in there. You know, like they would acknowledge it like, yeah, we're doing this, you know, this, and it's mixed with a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> you know, it's kind of, okay. And, and the more I do research after the fact and, and what correlated to my experience was more of, of using Detour or Toei. Sure. Um, sure. Which to me, in, in, in retrospect, now having done a lot of ayahuasca as well, is, uh, considerably greater than an ayahuasca or DMT smoking experience because again, the ayahuasca, you know, is a four hour, whatever, six. I mean, sometimes I can go much longer now. I'm at a sensitivity to it. Um, but you know, that's a rel relatively four to six hour experience, you know, a couple cups, whereas uh, DMT, you know, it's your 20, 30 minute kind of experience that the Tura, you know, I, I was literally on the other side for over a week and, you know, and it, it they had like a babysitter. I didn't sleep for three days. I didn't sleep or eat for three days after that medicine, mm -hmm. you know? So again, I had really no, uh, say steadfast understanding of the specifics of that ceremony and the initiation that I received from them until much later when I started doing, I always just kind of con, um, misinterpreted it as, as, uh, Bufo. You know, that's really it. And now, now I have to say it's honestly Datura, which I would also say don't ever do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's, well, you know, I, you know, something's occurring to me that, you know, that since you've got your, 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 your feet both in, uh, Western esoteric occult mysticism and the, this, you know, like it or not, it sounds like the South American, uh, you know, uh, shamanic experiences. 
I, you know, there's a lot of, you know, that's how they're interfacing is, is very, uh, is, is going to be very interesting in the future. I mean, do you think that they're, they are compatible? You know, can somebody go down there, and, you know, with a, and experience both, uh, or, or, or is, are the visions just incompatible and not at all, um, I, I guess, you know, I've, I've, I've just heard very recently that, you know, that, uh, w- one of the people that I've interviewed on the podcast, uh, James Kent, is, is basically, and I'm, I'm probably taking this out of, out of context, but the, basically the, the, the Western mind and the Western setting cannot, uh, you know, the, the, the ayahuasca experience is just not right. The set and setting for, of it is, is just not compatible with it at all. And, uh, I was just wondering, since you've done both, uh, if you have any thoughts on that, because the vision is so much different. I mean, uh, you know, what, what you know, the, you're, you're even, the, you know, the, the, the metamorphosis of your art from one, from the, you know, the mandalas and the, the chakras, you know, coming from the division, coming from lab report. I mean, you've got under, underwent some fairly dramatic changes. Yeah. So, I, I mean, th- that's a great question. And I think this is, you know, I'm writing a book now and it's, it's being edited and, and part of the book is this, it's a memoir and it tales of, the debauchery and kind of how I got this space and also this kind of ideas of inducing trauma or causing trauma or dealing with trauma. Um, but really, uh, one of the components that I'm trying to get across in that book is this idea that I, I really think we need to step back. This is very ironic, but we need to step away from doing ayahuasca. I, 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 I think, um, I don't think these things are compatible, to be quite honest. I think they have their benefits. I think they're for some people. I think they're for serious practitioners. But, you know, I was just listening to Jamie Wheel, uh, you know, and he, uh, you know, he just recently came out, um, with, the, you know, he has a book, Stealing Fire, and he's talking a lot about this idea of, of just, you know, kind of almost stopping, like just stop doing ayahuasca because, it doesn't correlate over. I mean, it's for the shaman in the jungle where they grew up, you know, and I, and I like, it's the same with the Mayan initiation I, out of six people. Uh, you know, I saw four of them crash and burn and I mean, crash and burn, you know, we're not talking. This was a wonderful trauma re- releasing experience. These people had mental psychotic breaks that some of them disappeared for over a year. You know, and so I would always wonder about what their training was. Now, my training before being initiated by the Mayans, I, you know, I, I was doing pouring sweat or uh, doing fire tending for uh, uh, the Lakota elder in Southern Illinois. You know, we did like, I remember we did 52 sweat lodges in a year. Every Sunday we did a sweat lodge. You know, I had different vision quests. I was working with him all his teachings, and even I had a troubling time dealing with the Mayan initiation, and I swear he knew it was coming better than I did, you know. Um, so there is, I, I like, I, you know, I think part of the reason people uh, crashed and burned, you know, and I, I saw this, I worked in Peru and outside of Iquitos at a ayahuasca center there, um, you know, there's terrible accident, you know, somebody committed suicide, at that center, uh, you know, like I was, I haven't been there for years, but apparently very recently, you know, there, there's a lot of things happening in this movement that I always kind of say like the, uh, the white clothed yoga, you know, kind of Northern California new ager who is, is all lo- filled with love and light, which is beautiful, you know, more power to you. But, you know, they, they would go down there and just be like, you know, whether, you know, sitting Lotus style, 
uh, with their index finger touching their thumb, you know, in this mudra and, and like, uh, you know, oh, it's all so beautiful. And you're like, you don't realize the, the level of magic going on down there. It's just, it's incomprehensible to these gringos. And honestly, you know, I've had Latinos tell me that a lot of it is just, they're just laughing at the gringos. You know, it's just, uh, it, and I've heard this. I mean, I hate to, to present this out there, but a lot of them are saying, you know, this is payback. It's payback for the Inquisition or the Inquisitors that showed up and killed their ancestors, you know? So I have a completely different take on those people going down to, you know, Peru to do Aya and, it being a, a loving, light, beautifully built, filled ceremony. I mean, again, I, I just don't think people have the right training. You know, they don't have the, they haven't prepped as I believe they should have in a myriad of ways. And then I think the shamans they're working with may be more brujo than, uh, pleasant. You know, it's brujo. It's like a black magic practitioner, you know, a little more voodoo esque. And, uh, you know, they don't know what they're putting into, uh, the brews. I mean, I, I, you know, I used to cook brew all the time with different shaman in, in the jungle and, and they're adding all sorts of other things other than the vine and, you know, the DMT, whichever leaf substance they're using, you know? So, right. So I, I, I'm sorry to be long winded on it, but d- d- so does it correlate? Like, I think all roads are the same that lead to the same point in that sense, you know, like all religions are saying the same thing, just they do have different ways of saying it. You know, they're all leading to the same point, but they have different ways of getting you there. And I think that the West can unite the esoteric somewhat can unite with the medicine because one of my practices was to go use ayahuasca outside of a Latino culture, you know? So I practice in South Africa with some, some British people that sing, um, straight, uh, mantras, you know, like from India, you know what I mean? Like Kirtan practicing songs, right? You know, and it was fantastic. And I met Shiva, you know, so I believe the medicine can be used and guided by the shaman or the, the part, you know, the deliverer, say the guide, um, given the right energy field can manipulate the, elements of ayahuasca to correlate to the songs they're singing. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's what you're talking about is basically consistent with, with your, um, your esoteric occult practice. The, yeah. The I mean, to manipulate the environment. Yeah. I mean, and, and to exert control over it. I, uh, yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you on that because I think that, you know, once you enter medicine space, you don't change. I mean, if you're coming to medicine space presenting with, you know, some issues, I mean, those issues aren't going to go away in the medicine space. If anything, they're going to become more manifest and, and obvious and, and, yes. and, and inescapable. <laughs> yes. And, uh, and so, you know, I, I think that that's, um, it's just very, I, I just find it very fascinating that, that, you know, your work and when, when you're talking about it, cause I, I think that like you're analyzing belief structures, uh, and you're, but you know, in a way you're mocking them, but in a way you're kind of representing them, like you said. Um, and so it's, 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 it's really interesting how the, you know, how that is coming forward in your art. 
Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think if you look at like the stamp art stuff that I've done, and and certainly aspects of the division are satirical and mocking. Without a doubt, I don't deny that I'm doing that. You know, so again, I, I play the trickster a lot, where I'm going to present things to you in one way when I'm trying to evoke a an emotional response the other way. You know, lab report without a doubt was clearly that kind of aspect. I mean, I really was trying to create a music so horrific that you would go like, I can't listen to this. I don't want to listen to this. I need to go turn my life around and figure something else out. <laughs> now, so whether that was, yeah, go ahead. No, no. So, so, so what's the, what's the sense behind that? Because you know, it's, you know, I, I, or, or is that, as you have sort of gotten away from that now, because you know, you, you, you were just talking about Kurtan and, and creating the, 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 the space to, you know, for, uh, for people to, you know, to do whatever in this. And, and so where does the, where does the, the satire come in or, or have you kind of left that behind and are now embracing the possibility of, you know, something more with your, you know, your work with, uh, uh, you know, brainwave entrainment and things like that. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, definitely it's split and, and I don't deny the polarity of, of approaches and opinions that I might have, some even contradictory and hypocritical, you know? So like when I run a poor sweat lodge for people, believe me, I, I'm trying to engage in the most neutrally um, beautiful space possible to create a container safe enough for my participants to get whatever they need from that event. That's literally where I'm at. Like there, you know, I'm not a healer. I, you know, I'm not a light worker, you know, whatever this kind of maybe more woo woo terms might be. I, I'm just a water pour creating a space for you. And that's a very neutral, um, space, you know, so I really pride myself of on creating that space. And, and it works really as a mindful meditation practice, you know. So I, I go to, to the Buddhist temple here in my, my town and I, I practice meditation with them. And, you know, that it's just different forms of meditation. So again, that's not satirical, right? You know, whereas I, I still might dress up as Krishna, which I do regularly. And then I have the crow, which is another character archetype that I created a costume, which is very based on the plague doctor and, predates all the popularity of the plague doctor. I mean, this is 10 years ago, but it's doing this, but we would go around, you know, I would go around dressed as Krishna and I'd have the crow with me and I would just sage cleanse people in public. And it really was like very tongue in cheek where people were like, Oh, I can engage with this. What is, you know, kind of a Hayoka clown almost, you know what I'm saying? Like I, you know, I was just like this crazy character. I, Oh yeah, I could do that. But then when I got in their face with, with heart open space, you know, looked them in the eye with my nose an inch from their nose and said, this is for protection. Within that second, people would melt. I mean, just start bawling, you know. And and I found that that kind of, again, the hayoka or the clown, the satire of this very tongue-in-cheek kind of component allowed me to kind of secretly uh, educate or help or uh, move people, you know, in a, in a, in a say, more positive direction. Yeah. Well, the trickster archetype is fairly universal and, you know, in many cultures too. I guess I hadn't really thought of it that way. I mean, maybe it does have a role in sort of, uh, getting people out of their default modes and, and, uh, opening up a space for them to, to have something more, maybe. That's exactly it. I mean, that's, and the trickers, it is universal across, you know, and I think, you know, even like Krishna was considered somewhat of a trickster, right? The crow is very much of a trickster. I work with coyote and owl medicines, which a lot of indigenous peoples 
don't appreciate or work with. They don't like, you know, um, I, I do, I appreciate the trickster, you know, um, even I, you know, I, and I kind of think of that with the lodge, you know, I, I, again, you don't, people can come and I say, you don't have to say anything. They can just sit there and use it like it's a gym, you know, like they're at the gym and they're getting a sauna after a workout, right? Because I like to approach it from kind of an uh, agnostic, non-denominational point. And I tell them that, but of course, once they get in there, you, you know, it's hard to not realize or be engulfed in the spiritual aspects of that event, you know? So my trickster is, like, Oh, just come on and you'll enjoy it. Right. You know? And then when I'm in there, I'm like, Hey, you want to say some words, you know? And I have people who've never prayed in their entire life. And I don't even call it prayers because again, that would kind of push them the wrong way. But I've had people where I would say, would you like to say some words in here that will admit things in that pitch black? hundred degree space that they would have never said outside of that space or even to a therapist or, you know, anything. So, you know, I, I find the, the medicine of the lodge is itself medicine, you know, so we don't need to do ayahuasca. You can still get to these places with things like meditation and the sweat lodge. And, you know, I mean, the, the even the vision quest with the indigenous native Americans, like the Lakota, you know, they just draw a six foot circle on the side of a mountain and they stick you on it. Like sit there. We'll see you in four days. You know, like just, just do a mental exercise of imagining yourself not moving out of a six foot circle for four days. You don't eat, you don't drink water, nothing. You just sit there for four days. You know, that's some serious medicine, right? You know, and, and again, I, I think I have these things are like where ayahuasca is the fast track. Um, I don't believe, honestly, that many people doing it should be doing it. I really don't. And I was a facilitator for quite some time in Peru. You know, I worked at a center helping the guests contextualize their experiences. And I kept thinking, wow, you shouldn't be here. <laughs> you know, um, so, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of other ways to get there. And maybe you should work your way up to ayahuasca or DMT. And we, we talked before about beliefs and and uh, and maybe the the, uh, the the trickster role that we've talked about is about maybe underlining beliefs and maybe not taking the, the the project seriously. You think there's some element of that so that it doesn't become a belief, but it you sort of get out of the the belief system and and are more experiencing you know the more raw reality maybe. No, no, not maybe. I think you're dead on accurate with that. The, the division was created as a farce. It exists as a farce, but it's also for me true. I know that sounds contradictory, but so, you know, there are many aspects of that uh, magic spell that are, uh, you know, the entire thing to me was a magic spell, you know? So, um, you know, it was a forced construct of ritual supported with belief to obtain an end result, which is by proxy magic. You know, it's no different than a Catholic putting on a fancy outfit on a particular day of the week, you know, going to this beautifully constructed building, having people set frequencies and tones and sympathetic dialogues or monologues, whatever they want with them. And then they go eat you know, some bread and drink a little bit of wine and, and they feel that their entire life up to that point, uh, you know, all the sins that quote unquote they've perpetrated are forgiven. I mean, that's, that's magic at the highest order. Right? I mean, like, you know what I mean? Saying like that is such unbelievable magic that you would do this ritual with these actions with the expectation of something 
happening that's to all for all intents and purposes not scientific, you know. So, you know, I mean, yeah, I I, I think that one of the ways to maintain a discussion and not become dogmatic or fall into um these the ideas of like, you know, hey, you're a shaman. I, I remember I was doing a lodge a couple of weeks ago and one of my new guests, she's like, are you a shaman? Uh, no, absolutely not. You know, like I, I would never want to own that term, you know. Um, at best, I'm guiding you. I'm a helping hand, you know. And I, I like that. I'm an artist. I'm presenting something. I don't know. How, I don't even want to define it. Like I said, because once you start doing it, it becomes – uh, this object then. So, and I've worked with a lot of ayahuasqueros, you know, and I find some of them virtual cult leaders, you know, or nearly cult leaders, because again, the participants that are regularly using this medicine with this standard practitioner have a, a misdirected love affair with the medicine, with themselves. You know, one of the biggest insights you have is self-love, right? So, you know, with, when you do this kind of uh, ayahuasca experience, you know, you, re- you realize your trauma points, you know, uh, you, you can fall in love with yourself again. You real, you see your inner child, all these beautiful things, but that's also projected onto the facilitator, right? The ayahuasca girl. So it's these people are like, Oh, I love this shaman. And I'm like, yeah, you know, like I would like to cut that short of this becoming <laughs> nearly a cult. You know what I mean? Like, can we stop yeah. short of? Right. And so I approach all of this kind of in a non-definitive way. Like I don't want to define where I'm coming at it from or who I am or what you expect from me, because what I'm trying to do is either through art or through spiritual practice or whatever I'm doing through, you know, whether it be the dark ambient horror movie soundtracks I did for Bernard Rose, um, you know, for like his movie Snuff Movie, which is just one of the most disturbingly dark movies um, that never even got released. You know, it was so, so horrific. Um, or I'm doing binaural beats with uh, space ambient tones for, of my newer Mandalas album. You know, I mean, I, I, the entire Mandalas project is like the beautiful side of all of this. You know, we haven't even gone into there, you know. There's, 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 the universe contains many things, <laughs> many things to explore. <laughs> totally. And, I, and again, yeah. you know, why, why would you just pick one and lock into that, you know? Yeah. Um, I, right, you know, I, I am, I was just, I'm putting together a couple workshops now for, um, a space I have up here in Chicago. I've been working out where my sweat lodge is located, a beautiful ranch. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm doing some right now. I'm working, uh, on this idea of like archetypal adoption where you show up, you make a mask, right? You kind of, however you want to express yourself. It's not too in depth. You just, have fun and make this mask. And then we dance around a fire at night, you know, in a very Viking-esque way. But one of the aspects to this was this is kind of like anger release, you know, and, and um, I know I'm, I'm just starting to become fascinated by this whole thing too, this idea of like how we deal with our repressed emotional states and anger. So again, like the lab report was very shadow practice. Now I'm kind of interested in this idea of like, how people uh, express themselves or don't because they don't think they're allowed to, you know, in our culture. And I want to build a space where they they can have the, the safe space to express themselves, you know, to go crazy and dance around a bonfire wearing a mask. How fun is that? Right. You know? Yeah. That's uh, and, and, and you would be perfect because you've, you've designed some masks yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
Um, I love it. I love it. Like I said, you know, I get dressed up as Krishna and I, you know, I do the crow and there's the bag lady and I have all these different, uh, personas, you know, and, and that I, I appreciate, you know, I like the idea that you can kind of, you know, dissolve into this, these aspects of, uh, these, these characters, these archetypes, you know, I think that's healthy, you know. And what is about the, 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 the ritual itself that facilitates that? I mean, what, what, have, have you um, thought about that? And because, you know, your art is very ritualistic in, in a lot of ways, even, and, you know, throughout it, it's, it's always had sort of a ritualistic element. I mean, what about that do you think is, is kind of common? Well, I mean, you know, when I was in graduate school and, and building the division, <clears throat> excuse me, which, you know, took, I mean, three years to build this project. It has over 50 pieces, you know, and then I had to develop the mythos foundational history of the division and, you know, all this, the 20th century version history of this. So there was, it was a very complex project that I spent really every waking moment working on. And what I realized, uh, in, in building this and studying it, there's a lot of reading and studying, you know, I wrote like, uh, I, you know, I developed a thesis about Deschamps and his correlation to Rosicrucianism and Freemasonry that hasn't been defended by anyone else. And I defended it, you know, and I wrote 80 pages on this, you know, I mean, this is literally a publishable paper on, on his reference to the hermetic orders. Um, but in all this study, I, you know, I was reading the psychology of ritual, right? Which is, you know, a pretty straightforward psychological study on this idea of what is it about ritual? And, and it's what we already kind of know, you know, it's just scientifically defined. And, and it goes back to what I was saying about the Catholic church. It's the, the action that you do with the thought of while you're doing it creates an outcome that's desired, right? So for instance, I very much enjoy my morning coffee made with a French press. <laughs> it sounds absurd. And I like to froth my milk in this particular manner. Well, I am keenly aware that it is the ritual of doing this action that kind of wakes me up in the morning, uh, sets my tone, makes me feel good. You know, although the caffeine may be a literal, uh, chemical, that brings us, you know, as a stimulant, I think the ritual itself is more about developing this like good morning, you know, positive energy start to my day. You see what I mean? So and, and conversely, like the, if you have a job that you detest, you know, getting up in the morning and having to get, get cleaned up and put on this suit that you hate wearing and going to this job and driving and traffic that you hate is a negatively reinforced ritual of magic that you are perpetuating upon yourself, creating basically like, you know, a shit, horrible magic spell of your life. Do you see, you know what I mean? Like, no wonder you're depressed. Your rituals all day long are about you being dissatisfied with your reality. So if you're a great magician creating your own reality, right? If you partake in a perpetual and ongoing daily ritual that is horrible for you, again, bad job, long driving times, don't like, you know, your home life, all this stuff, then you are literally creating a magic spell to, that makes your crappy life. Yeah. It's, it's a, does that make sense? Oh yeah, no, no, it, it makes complete, it makes complete sense. And I think that, uh, you know, that's in some ways the, the, um, 
America has a very different ritual than, than, than some of the other countries. And, and, and in a way, um, you know, I, I just think of, of, uh, you know, you, you compared, you compressed America with Germany or, or, or some of those other, you know, European countries. And we're, our ritual is, has kind of diluted. And I think we're in a way kind of lost in, 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 in kind of without ritual, perhaps. And, and that to me, uh, opens up the door to sort of darker rituals to come in and, and fill the void, perhaps. Uh, if, if, if there's not, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I think to some extent you're right. I mean, we have to choose the rituals. They can be rituals of darkness or rituals of light. Um, and, um, you know, and, and, but, but where there's a void, where there's no ritual, I mean, to some degree, humans are hardwired to have some sort of structure associated yeah. with them. And, 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 and to some extent, we get to choose what that is, uh, and what we dabble in, uh, perhaps. And, and again, I'm not talking about, you know, maybe censorship, but, you know, this is just consistent with what you were saying about, you know, if you're, you know, if you're in a shitty job and, and it's horrible, you know, how that, how that manifests itself. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I, I agree with you. And, and, and the, the, the contrary or the flip side to it too is, is that like, I find the coral, I mean, first of all, we can't deny just the rise of fascism in general between, you know, Germany in, inherently this, you know, in the 20th century has this, you know, the stigma of fascism, just obvious. It's obvious, right? Well, in America now under Trump, you know, I mean, even back to Bush and, and a lot of my, you know, I remember it was in a month after 9-11 that I was, Going like, wow, these, this flag waving festival in downtown New York City looks a lot like, you know, some German rally. If you just switched out the red, white and blue flags into the Nazi flag, it'd be the same thing, you know, and what Fox News was saying was very fascistic. And I mean, even before that, this has been existing, but you know, with Fox and, and, and where we're at, you know, the rise of fascism is here. Now, an interesting correlation to that is, is that back to what you were saying in this idea of ritual and a culture losing itself is that like um in the in-between war periods right in uh france like there were some ten thousand mystical publications being produced a month i mean the esoteric like blavatsky right uh theosophical society the thule society all of these things were just massively uh absorbed and i mean the culture was thick with it and we don't really realize that you can see it being reflected now in some of the like the marvel comic books you know what i mean like there's you know like the thule society will show that are like hellboy you know you're like wow that's an actual organization that was around that was fascistic you know and worked with the ss right you know so What's happening is, is that there is this weird kind of resurgence of the mysticism. But like you said, I think it's diluted and we don't have as Americans particularly, and this might be a difference between the Germans, but again, the Europeans being kind of lost between wars, you know, who are we as an identity, France, you know, all these people lost, right? Yeah. Um, in that sense, uh, Germany lost them. Uh, so the idea is that, uh, the ritual's so diluted now, and everybody's looking everywhere for some level of mysticism. And this country particularly lacks history, right? So we don't have, like, say, the Mayans, you know, a traditional ritual that lasted thousands of years. You know what I mean? We've worked on this ritual for a thousand years. We know what this ritual looks like. 
you know, we've had elders, we've partaken in it, you know, we understand this ritual. Okay. Whereas in America now, it's just like I said, I, I really, you know, and again, God bless him, but you know, the, the kind of new age white clothed yogini going down to Peru, you know, sitting lotus style thinking it's all white light is just asking for trouble. You know, I, well, why, I remember well, why I, is it? What, why is that though? I mean, because aren't they? Isn't that trying to, to manifest the white light in the world and create a positive ritual? I mean, what? I, I, I think it might be better done as a meditative practice in Northern California. I mean, oh, you know, oh, I, I, oh, I stay, in, stay in your, where you're at, stay in your set and set. Yeah. I see well, yeah, yes, yeah, exactly. Kind of what's, you know, like, you know, or, or go to India and practice meditation or go to your Buddhist temple, you know, whatever you want to do. But, you know, I think there is this in, weird thing about like, um, you know, it's, I, it's, there's a book, I believe it's called Close Your Mind. And it's about the, the psychedelic movement of the sixties, right? And what it talks about, and this is something that I, you know, there's a certain kind of conspiracy theory component, uh, to it. But I also don't deny these, these aspects, right? And like MK Ultra and this, the, the, that hallucinogens were created as a pacifier for the white, uh, what would have been a white revolution, right? So the Black Panthers were very scary in the sixties, right? They, they just absolutely horrified white authority, the elite. They were getting stuff done. They were like in Oakland, the Panthers were feeding 10,000 kids a day. I mean, it was unbelievable, you know, and, and the white power elite freaked out. And once, you know, Kent state hit and white kids started going like, Hey, I'm dropping acid. And I kind of agree with these guys, you know, like that was it, man. You know, how did they shut that down? And the psychedelic movement, according to this book and, and certain belief systems kind of acknowledges that it was a pacifying movement. So the hippiedom of the sixties was a pacifying movement. Okay. So I see that correlative and represented again as the rise of fascism really takes up in America now with the white spiritual uh, kind of elite that, you know, to some degree manifests a white light only persona, which is not only detrimental politically and spiritually, because it's a form of spiritual bypassing in many ways, to our American culture, but then they're going down personally and having themselves, you know, raked over the coals by a possible brujo with ayahuasca in Peru. You know, I mean, I know it's a lot to put under one roof there, but do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, there's yeah. mirror, there's a lot of levels that's happening. Well, don't you think psychedelics themselves are sort of subversive? I mean, I think they're anti-totalitarianism. Uh, anti-totalitarian in, in effect, but are you saying that that's just another form of more insidious spiritual bypassing using psychedelics? It's it very well. I think it's both. Again, this is why I don't want to be binary in anything, and I don't really want to I identify these. You know, like I believe exactly this. I, I yeah. absolutely don't want to do that. What I want to do is, uh, with talking with you on this podcast and with my book and and my art and everything that I do, is to open up these discussions. Because it can be all and both and or nothing. You know what I mean? Like it's everything yeah. and nothing, right? And I do think that it is totally subversive. I think in the 60s it was perceived as subversive. But the problem is, is that, you know, loving fascism isn't going to get rid of it. Like that's, 
like we, we can love, you know, I was in a ceremony recently and, and one of, after we, we were contextualizing our experience afterwards and one of the participants said, you know, I really felt this unconditional love for Donald Trump. And, <laughs> and I, and I, I was just like, you know, I, 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 you know, and again, I'm like, you know, I want to keep this positive, but I, I'm sure I know the whole group felt my rage. Uh, you know, and I'm just, you know, literally like probably still on the medicine at this point. But I, I was like, you know, I appreciate where you're coming from in the sense of samadhi and oneness. Yes, it's true. I understand that in the most Dalai Lama level of, of, of pure understanding that if you can approach the world with pure love, nothing matters. Right. But I also don't think you're fighting to change the system. Do you know what I'm, you know what I mean? So again, we saw that with, with, Kent State and the hippie movement of the 60s and the Black Panthers and, you know, that it just ended up being a love fest and, and it was kind of like, okay, what did that get us? Now we're still, you know, again, it, we're the yippie, right? You know, and then the yuppie, right? So it was like these people were hippies back then and then now they're, they're just part of the problem now, you know? So I'm worried that at the same time, ayahuasca brings all these benefits and I think the whole world should do it. I mean, seriously, I honestly, I think like it should be mandatory that everybody over like the age of 13 has to do it every week, you know, because we would be in flying cars and not holding jobs and it would be a spectacular, beautiful world, but that's not going to happen. And so, you know, we have to figure out like this idea of like opening your mind, <laughs> opening just, your mind. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just laughing at you, Matt, because like, you know, 20 minutes ago, you were saying nobody should take ayahuasca. No, everybody should take it. <laughs> I, I totally see. I, no, I I'm do. Just, I I'm just laughing. I, I'm not, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just like feeling your vibe. <laughs> no, it's true. I do not deny the hypocrisy that is me. You know what I mean? I don't deny it. I, I don't deny it. You know, I, yeah. I, I, I also would like to clarify that, you know, if everybody's taking it every Sunday and that was our new culture, that we would have a, an amazing support group of friends and, and lovers and guides and all these people helping us contextualize the experiences, you know, um, as opposed to again, you know, these like somebody with virtually no spiritual training going to Peru and having their mind blown open. No, come on. Who would do that? What, 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 what attorney do you know that would do something like that? <laughs> exactly. I rest my case. So what, did, what did Mother Ayahuasca tell you? It said, hey, gringo attorney, <laughs> you better be prepared, amigo. <laughs> no, I think it's a great medicine. I, I, I do. And I just I don't think it's for everybody. I, I do. I wish you, everybody did it with the right contextualization contextualization, the right experience, the right guides. But again, I'm finding that most people are doing it without any preparatory training whatsoever. You know what I'm saying? There, I mean, even the diet, you know, like I, that's a serious deal to go through the diet even, you know, and I know people were like, ah, you know, whatever, I'm eating this chocolate bar and drinking a beer, you know, and then I'll do ayahuasca tomorrow. And you're like, yeah. dude, Good you, luck you with that. <laughs> yeah, you, and, you know, and, and you should have been on that. Like, th this is the, that's honoring the medicine and stuff too. It was the same with working with the Mayan elders. You know, there was a very strict, um, protocol in dealing with them and stuff, you know, so, you know, it's a, a priestly class in a way. So, you know, yeah, I, I just, I, I do, I see both sides of it, but yeah, I still stick with both sides too, right? I'll stick with my hypocrisy. Hey, if it works, man, you got to keep us all honest. You know, people are going to get all these belief systems and they need some joker to there shake them up and like, hey. I yeah. think that's exactly it. 
And, and I think that, you know, that, you know, okay, my take on this is, you know, if we're going to actually have any light in our lives, it has to be through a synthesis of the dark, uh, in a way. And, and it's not this, 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 that there's only light and there's only, you know, you can only, you know, manifest the white and only think positive things. I mean, no, I mean, because I think the big, deep spiritual growth comes when you really, uh, bodily accept and go into, you know, some of the, the uncomfortable areas because it's, that's what, that's the gateway to, you know, to, to growth and evolution. And, in my universe, anyway. So that's what I'm manifesting for you. That's my ritual. That's my ritual, man. I'm 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 sticking with that. <laughs> I I agree with you completely. I I mean, again, everything I've done is exactly what you you yeah. just. Oh, but you're so perfectly. Much, what's that? But oh, but you're so much darker than I am. I can't go there. I mean, I I I, I got to be honest with you. That lab report stuff just creeps me out. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's weird, Michael. I can't even listen to that myself. I mean, I kid you not. We. We used to record that and it was so cathartic to record it, right? And then we would go back and listen to it. And I kid you not, there were times where I was like, who the fuck listens to this shit? You know, like, I was like, this stuff's insane. Like it is totally insane trickster music, you know? And I remember at one point, several albums into it, somebody came to me and they said like, Hey man, you know, I really enjoy having sex with my girlfriend to your album. And I looked at him and I said, you're a sick fucker. Like you are a sick fucker and you need to go get help because that's not what that was intended for. Like it just was not it. And I, I kind of like one of the dissolve reasons we dissolved that project. I mean, there were several, but one of the reasons I dissolved it was because it was becoming worship. It was being interpreted in my opinion incorrectly, you know? And I was like, people are, it wasn't a, go through the dark side adventure and come out healthy. It was, let's stay here and diddle shit in the corner, you know, like just horrible stuff. And, and, and that's where I really realized in that practice that, you know, I kind of gone as far as I could and I needed to learn more. Cause again, this was in the nineties, you know, early nineties. Um, whereas now I can see that, you know, like taking somebody on a, an ayahuasca, um, experience and helping guide them through that dark path. And when they come back offering them support, you know, and that's a big thing too. I'm a really big proponent of, uh, you know, trying to offer support on every realm for anyone, like for anything that I do, you know, cause I've gone and done a lot of this stuff and I, I've seen this with Ayahuascaros and, 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 you know, you're done, they got their money and you, you know, four days later, you're trying to reintegrate into society, man. And you can't, and you call them and they're just nowhere to be found, you know? Um, and, and that's a big problem I have with the medicine practice too, is that I don't think there is enough support structure. So again, I offer myself through like sweatlodge.love, my website for my sweat lodge and all these, uh, kind of more spiritual events I do is to, I'm always there, man. <laughs> find me, find Matthew John page on Facebook. If you need to talk about stuff, I'm there. Like, because I don't think we're offering, we're not contextualizing it enough. You know, yeah. Well, you would uh, you would be the person to do that. You're a master of contextualizing things. So. Well, I, I appreciate that. I, I hope I can help people. That's where I'm coming from. You know, well, it's I, your work. I it's I mean, yeah. it's your whole your whole life is you know different contexts and playing with them. I mean, it's that's that's what's awesome. That's what I like about your art so much. Well, thanks, thanks. Yeah. So 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 tell me what's 
what what is next on your agenda? I mean, what's uh, are you are you are you going back to Peru? Or are you going to be sticking around here? What's what's going to be happening with you and your art? Well, yeah, it's weird. I um, you know, like I've been, I did the Mandala Project. That was that's still a while ago. Um, which was the more kind of you know, the division is kind of more a Western esoteric dark uh, version of of spirituality or or alchemical practices, right? The Mandala Project and the the music there was I I can seem really not even close to Android Jones's beautiful psychedelic uh, interpretations of DMT experiences. They're more just meditative mandalas, you know, that you can use. And, and I considered them more for lay people, to be honest, like a starter mandala, you know, to start practicing your mindful meditation. Um, where I'm at now is this, you know, I have the sweat lodge space. I'm starting to build retreats. Uh, again, I'm doing shamanic breath work. You know, all sorts of kind of different things is really coming to fruition, uh, because I found some great land up here in a beautiful center, uh, up in the Woodstock area of Illinois. And I'm working there. And then, uh, the irony to it again, the contradiction, uh, I may be phasing out my, I'm a college professor by day and they may be phasing out my department. And so if I lost, my main source of income, I would actually consider moving back to Peru. Mm. So again, we'll see how things stay here. You know, I'm still, they haven't dissolved the department yet. I like what's going on. I like my retreats, all this stuff. But at the same time, if they do dissolve it immediately, um, I have this joke. I tell my students all the time, uh, there's 5,000 species of potatoes in Peru. And that's a lot to learn. Mm. There's even five. There's probably even five thousand plants that go into the ayahuasca admixture that nobody knows about. Oh my God, <laughs> Michael, that is so true. I, I seriously, I, I worked with so many shamans. I'm like, what's that thing you're putting in there now? And you know, some of them are more truthful. Some of them just look at you and kind of be like, shut up, gringo. You know, I don't care, and they throw it in. Other ones told me that you know, there's and I forgot the name. There's a love plant down in the Amazon. And I mean, it's a for real love plant. Like if you process it and you give it to a person, they will fall in love, right? And they'll either fall in love with themselves or with the medicine or with the shaman or all the above. And that the, the ayahuasca regularly add that to their ayahuasca because it, it's, it's building a returning customer, you know? And again, maybe there's some not, maybe it's not negative. Maybe falling in love with yourself is a great thing, but I start worrying about it when I saw people treat, you know, ayahuasca like cult leaders, kind of, you know, I mean, it's one thing to have respect and admiration for them. Absolutely. I'm all for that, you know, but once you start getting into like, you know, uh, mother Aya told me and my ayahuasca told me, it's like, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, at this point we probably need to step back and, uh, apply our agnosticism, you know, <laughs> Gnosticism, right? Um, and look at it through a different lens. It's all about playing with beliefs and choosing. It is. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So tell me, uh, you know, I, you, you've mentioned a lot of things. Uh, MatthewSchultz.com is, is the art manifestation of your reality, but Tell me more about, you know, if people want to get to your sweat lodges what uh, and uh, your other, uh, uh, your shamanic breath work, what's the uh, vehicle that you would recommend that they connect with you? Well, yeah, so the, to start with, to go back, it's it's actually Matt Schultz. So it's M-A-T-T-S-C-H-U-L-T-Z.com yeah. um, is the URL for that one. So, yeah, that's my fine art site. 
and uh, the division is through there. Um, and then if you go to sweatlodge.love, so we have new uh, uh, suffixes, right? It's not .com, it's .love. You can go there, and that is particularly uh, for my sweat lodges because, like I said, I'm a water pour. And then through there, if you sign up through the email, I can send you more information about the retreats that I run and stuff up here. You're listening to The Psychedelic Salon, where people are changing their lives one thought at a time. And while I pause Michael's podcast just now, I'm still going to play the rest of it, uh, well, after a few brief comments here. The reason that I'm doing this uh, is because it ended with some of Matt's meditation music, and I thought that would be a perfect way to close the salon for tonight. But before I go, there's one more brief observation that I'd like to make. For a while now, I've been trying to avoid calling this new widespread interest in psychedelics a renaissance. But after thinking about all of the little coincidences between Michael's path and my own, something became clear to me for the first time. What it is happens to be the fact that Michael and I are essentially a generation apart. Yet, here we are, basically thinking the same way about psychedelics. A topic that now it's perfectly okay to discuss in public. So maybe it is true. A psychedelic renaissance has begun. And if that's the case, guess what? Just by being here in the salon, you are a part of this psychedelic renaissance. And I'm glad that you're here. For now, this is Lorenzo signing off from Cyberdelic Space. Be well, my friends, and enjoy the end of Michael's podcast. Sounds good. Should we go out on one of your your songs, one of your your 30 plus CDs? Uh, Please. Uh, which which one should we which one should should we go out on? I think you have angels and what else do you have? A medit air. Okay, which one? Tell I me. like the angels. Angels okay. is a beautiful, beautifully scored piece. I scored this for um, ayahuasca ceremony, so I have a couple hours of scored music that I use instead of say the the actual sung Icaros. So. Awesome. So here we go, Angels, Matthew Schultz. Matt, thanks for being on here, and uh, I look forward to uh, continuing to bathe in your uh, exuberance here. Uh, well, out. Michael, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it. I love what you're doing here. I really do. I really do. So thank you so much. And uh, leave your browser open because uh, it takes a little bit to upload with this program. Okay. okay. Sounds good. Much love, brother. All right. Same to you. But to upload with this program. Okay. Okay. Sounds good.